1: Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth, and we are going to talk Patriots today because it is Patriots Beat, but I know the Celtics and Bruins, or what on or on everybody's mind. We're gonna to get to the Boston Sports Minute. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> but we gotta start with some Patriots. After all, this is a Patriots show, and we are now what roughly two weeks away from the first OTA practice of the offseason, the first time that you can actually pit offense versus defense on an NFL field. So now the players are in phase two. This is a Strength and conditioning period, uh, throwing against air, doing drills, you know, passing drills against air, things like that. So we're starting to resemble real football a little bit, inching closer day by day. So today here on the show, we're going to talk about the Patriots offense. We're going to take you through the roster and the depth chart on the offensive side of the football, discuss some of the roster locks, discuss some of the position battles, what the future might hold for some of these guys that are, on the bubble or maybe fighting for a roster spot next week we'll move move over to defense and and that's how we'll approach it the next couple of weeks obviously the schedule release on thursday as well so we'll have a show to recap what's going on with the schedule on thursday afternoon which we should know with all the leaks and everything uh, by the time we record the show so alex uh, let's get right into it and uh, we'll talk here about this offense, I, I did this uh, this morning handy-dandy spreadsheet with the Patriots' 90-man roster as it currently stands, has 87 players on it. This is the offensive part of that depth chart or that roster. And uh, the players in yellow are, are players that I have highlighted as of right now as roster locks to make the team. And one of the things that when I went through this exercise, what was pretty remarkable is – Based off of the 10-player draft class, the big free agent haul last offseason, there are not a whole lot of open roster spots on this team right now for some of the back end of the draft guys, some of the UDFAs, and even some of these veterans like a Ty Montgomery, for example, just looking at this list that signed this offseason, they're going to have to at least show out a little bit in training camp, I think, to make this roster.
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be, you're right, it's going to be a tight competition. This kind of reminds me of the 2020 team, right? Or was it 2019? We're coming in, we're like, yeah. they're like 80-something NFL-caliber players. It's a little different. Um, it's it's more about young talent. But, yeah, there's going to be, you know, guys that get hurt or whatever. But um, it's it's going to be kind of tight coming into camp. I think we already have a pretty generally good idea about what this roster looks like. I know people want to bemoan that they didn't add anybody this offseason. Well, they didn't really lose anybody either. Like they, in terms of like big names, they lost JC Jackson. In terms of the number of players they lost, just sheer numbers. uh, It's not a specific, it's not a significant number compared to what, what, you know, what the average NFL team loses in an off season. I think they lost, I think it's 10, around 10 players from their 53 man roster last year. So yeah, it's going to be tight. Yeah, absolutely. And and If you go um, in the top right there, you see that like little arrow under where it says share uh yes if you hit that it'll give you a little more
1: space yeah so i just zoomed in a little bit hopefully people can see it a little bit better so I'm, now i'm saying if you hit that arrow it won't cut off the bottom of the offensive line column oh
0: which arrow where see where it says share on the spreadsheet oh i see yep there's a little arrow below that if you hit that no 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 no, oh. no don't hit that oh Our i got you.
1: i got you i got you there you but go now- there we go look at that I mean, was yanni could the last one on the list does that give you everything i think so i think it no uh i think there's one more this is a deep off op- they have 16 <laughs> offensive linemen on their roster right now so when we get to offensive line i'll just scroll down and, and we can get the whole picture of it i think uh, I, I don't think it's i could maybe zoom out a little bit now we're getting really into all right there we go that should have the there whole thing go. as long as everybody can see it if you can't see it Let me know, and and, and we'll zoom back in. Anyways, I actually want to start with the wide receivers. I think there's a lot of things to talk about there with the quarterbacks as well, and obviously this whole depth chart. But I want to start with the wide receivers because we talked to Nelson Aguilar today, and he had a big smile on his face, seems happy to still be in New England, and, and seems happy that this is where he's at. It does also sound like the workout's, were something he organized down there in Florida, maybe taking on a little bit more of a leadership role in that room than we might have known or might have thought based off of last season. But that, to me, is the, one of the most interesting battles on this depth chart. They draft Tyquan Thornton. We know he's a lock as a second-round pick. They trade for Devonte Parker. We know he's a lock just because of investment, right? Third-round pick invested right. and all that kind of stuff. So Nelson Aguilar, you talked me off of having him as a true lock here because it, it isn't, right? You know, they could trade him. They could move on from him at the end of training camp if Tyquan Thornton has a good camp. But I actually like the optics of having Thornton and Aguilar on the roster at the same time. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. But I want to hear your take on what Nelson Aguilar had to say today and what his future outlook is with the Patriots. obviously only under contract for more years. So it's just going to be this year, most likely, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I, I like having
0: those two speed guys. I think they kind of do different things on the field. I also think Thornton's still relatively raw, right? I the reason I don't think Aguilar is a lock is because if Thornton comes out and just blows up in camp and blows up in the preseason, then it's clear who the odd man out there is, right? I think if right. that's not the case, Thornton sort of becomes the odd man out to start the season and maybe they they put him more into the fold as the season goes on. So, I think roster lock. Like here's how I judge a roster lock. And I, you're gonna roll your eyes at this, but it's true. If somebody came up to me and said, "Should I buy this player's jersey today?" Right. If the answer is not yes, the player's not a roster lock in terms of like investment. I if somebody was like, "Should I buy an Nelson Nagler jersey today?" I'd be like, "Eh, maybe wait till the end of camp." Right. So, I think there's a very 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 good chance he made he makes the team. I was a huge fan of everything he said today. I think he's got the right mindset for his situation, which it would be very easy for a guy like him to kind of check out right now. And he's clearly yeah. doing that instead. If anything, he's taking more of a leadership role. He talked about the opportunities that come with year two. I um, Actually wrote a recap of what he said on 98.5thesportslub.com. You can go check that out. But um, I don't think, it, it, by definition, he's not a roster lock, although I think there's a very good chance he makes the team.
1: Yeah, I think the fun thing about it with having him on the roster is I they had Cooks and Philip Dorsett in 2017 on the team together. But yeah. other than that, I can, it's so, been a, since then, I would say that they could have two guys in Thornton and Aguilar who can stretch a field vertically as well as both those guys can, right? They usually have had one guy in that role. It's been a while since they've had two guys that can stretch the field like that. You start thinking about the idea of putting – Eleven personnel out there with Kendrick Bourne Jacoby Myers inside the tight end, Hunter Henry up the seam and over the middle of the field, the running back out of the backfield, and those two guys stretching the field and getting vertical. That that's a pretty good amount of speed on the field. I don't know if the Patriots have had that kind of speed in a long time, probably since that 2017 season. You also throw oh, in there that you can put Pierre Strong on the field with them too as a pass catching back, and now we got some real four, four under speed out on the field. The Patriots are not a team that's had that kind of speed in at least three or four years.
0: I think you're really onto something here. The Dorsett thing to me at face value is an imperfect comparison. Cause remember they traded for Philip Dorsett in September that year, they traded for him before week one. And at that point, Julian Edelman was out for the year. He tore his ACL And what kind of happened was they basically said, well, if we're not going to have that element in our offense, let's be purely vertical. That really was a purely vertical offense or as vertical as the Patriots ever were in the Tom Brady era. So if if that's the comp you want to make, and I don't think you're wrong, but if that's the comp you want to make, where it's going to be Aguilar, you know, they want Aguilar out there with maybe Thornton to add that speed, then I think that makes Jacoby Myers the odd man out. And then I think it's Aguilar in the slot. Right. Then I think Aguilar is your slot guy with with Parker, Bourne and Thornton rotating between the other two. And then it's really going to look like the 2017 offense, because, again, they're going to get fully vertical. That that's what you know, if you want to go down that road, that's what that tells me. If they're if they're trying to emulate 2017 with Dorsett and Aguilar, that's not a great sign for Jacoby Myers, in my mind, if that's the direction they're going to go.
1: Yeah. And if you look at the way that the Alabama offense ran itself with Mac Jones, obviously a big part of that was having Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, but they were a vertical-based offense at Alabama. That was not a, a five-yard pass offense, right? That was a, a down-the-field, vertical, shot-making offense. This offense might not have that volume down the field just because they might be looking for guys like Thornton and Aguilar to clear out space for the guys to work underneath. So maybe that's more of the idea of it than necessarily pushing it down the field. But I love the idea of having Aguilar and Thornton both on the roster, not only because they can play together on the field, but then if Aguilar goes down, you have Thornton to back him up and vice versa. I love Devontae Parker's skill set. I think he's going to have a very specialized role, though. I don't know if he's going to necessarily be a full-time player unless he can really get back to who he was in 2019. We might be looking at more early down packages where they use those bigger wide receivers, red zone matchup specific times when he plays more one week versus other weeks. But yeah, I think that that would be a really fun group. And you always come back to with the Patriots offense that you want to work the middle of the field ultimately. Well, if you have Aguilar and you have Thornton over the top, that makes so much more room for Bourne, for Myers, for Henry, even for Johnny Smith, the backs out of the backfield. Like they're going to have one-on-one matchups underneath. They're going to have leverage. They're going to have a lot of room to work with. And that's, I think, what they're ultimately going to look for by keeping all those guys on the roster. It just seems to me like they're probably at the very least going to carry six receivers. I I would think that's sort of the number that they usually go with. And Aguilor we know Nikhil Harry is probably not going to be here. It probably is one step too far to think that Aguilar is not going to be here at, at this point. I, I think that he's probably yeah. on the team. I think that, well, so.
0: Probably, yes. But if we're talking about roster lock, I think that if Thornton has a massive camp. Yeah, I hear and you. Devontae Parker looks great. Then they would move on from him. I don't think it's likely he misses. He's as close to a roster lock as you can be without yeah. being a roster lock. Like if we're listing them, I'd put him at the top of my non-locks list, but he's not, he's not a roster lock to me.
1: Okay. So let's move on from Aguilar. We talked a little bit there about Parker and Thorin, who's who are obviously going to be there. Well, what out of the rest of this group? And I put De'Ara King with the quarterbacks, because that's what the team technically announced him as yesterday. But I think we know that he's probably going to work out a little bit with the wide receivers as well. Is anybody on that list, Nikhil Harry aside, Malcolm Perry, Christian Wilkerson, Trey Nixon, D'Eric King. Which one of those guys do you think has the best chance to stick as the sixth receiver if they do carry six guys?
0: I think Christian Wilkerson just because what he gives them on special teams. Yeah. we saw last year in in training camp and in the preseason. He's a coverage guy. He can play gunner. He can go down the field. He can cover kicks. D'Eric King's really interesting. I think he's still a year away. I, I think he can contribute as a wide receiver in the NFL. I really do believe that. I just think he needs a year to kind of – you know, he was a wide receiver for the first two years of his college career, and then he's been playing quarterback since. So he's a he's not truly developed there yet. I think he's a guy that ends up on the practice squad, and then this time next year, especially if Jacoby Myers leaves in free agency, right, which we think is going to happen, we're talking a lot about to Eric King as a potential slot receiver, and that's a storyline to watch. But I'm not there with him just yet. Uh, I, I I would put him in the wide receiver category. Again, I know the list him as a quarterback. It's going to be really interesting to see what color Jersey he's wearing on the first day of OTAs. But yeah, I would, um, I, I I still think he's your way. I go with Wilkerson.
1: I'm with you on Wilkerson. I think he's easily got the best chance out of that group to make it. You mentioned the special teams value. They're going to look at those last couple of games at the end of the regular season too, and, and think there was good things. Certainly that Jacksonville game, there was definitely good things out of him. And if you're looking at him, as a reserve guy that can play inside outside and play in the kicking game for you. If you want to activate him on game day, those are enough roles and enough boxes checked. I think that he makes the roster and he's one of those guys too, that's had really good training camps over the last couple of years. He's been really strong in the summertime and he's really made a push for the roster. So I think that he ends up making it. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. Our partners at betonline continue to be the number one source For all your betting needs and sports info, find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Last thing here on the wide receivers, Nikhil Harry. Well, let's just put this out there and be honest. If the Patriots had a trade partner for Nikhil Harry, he'd already be off the team, right? I mean, this yeah. is not a matter of the Patriots hanging on for hope that Nikhil Harry is going to prove out to be a good player or live up to that first round expectation. There is nobody that wants to give the Patriots anything for Nikhil Harry. So what do you think ultimately ends up happening with him? Uh, Do you think that they cut him? Do you think that they find a trade partner at the end of training camp? Or maybe they end up keeping him for one more year. He is under contract for one more season, and then you can cut bait next offseason.
0: There's value in in bringing him into camp. He can only increase his trade value. We talked about this on a previous show, right? Let him go out there. Let him moss Juwan Williams a couple of times. Let him do it in a preseason game. Get the hype up. Maybe you can move him in a pick swap. They just have too many wide receivers. It's not worth the roster spot for them to keep them, right? And everybody's go, oh, play tight end. He's not a tight end. That would yeah. make it easy if he was a tight end. That would make it easy because I'd rather have have him probably than Osiasi or Keen, right? Uh, but he's not that guy. So I, they might end up having to cut him. There's some dead money. There's not a ton, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can't see him on the team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what you're hoping for is that maybe somebody gets hurt in another camp. Obviously, you're not hoping anybody gets hurt, but that's the idea is somebody gets hurt in another camp. A team has a few injuries at the wide receiver position. They absolutely just need a body there. Maybe Nikhil Harry becomes somebody that can fill in there, but at this point during the draft, they basically got no calls on him. I would say it's a really similar situation to what's going on with Andy Isabella in Arizona. Those guys just have no value around the league. Nobody wants them. They're, if they do want them, it's after they're cut and they restart their contracts and it's basically nothing on guarantees that they're offering the player. Nobody wants to pick up Nikhil Harry's fourth year. It's just that simple. And, and the Patriots have had basically no traction whatsoever with the trade on that one. Let's move on to the quarterbacks and get into some of these discussions here. I think the interesting place to start is certainly Bailey Zappi versus Jared Siddham. Right now, I, I find it really hard to believe. The Patriots drafted Zappi in the fourth round, 137 overall. They clearly liked the kid. They seem to have almost targeted him at that point in the draft or at least added those extra fourth rounders to be able to take a stab at a quarterback. This spells the end to me for Jared sit easily. The question is, is are you willing to go as far to have Bailey Zappi as a roster lock? And does he eventually push Brian Hoyer out or how far do you think this could go for Zappi and how quickly? So I need to look something up real quick here. Kevin
0: O'Connell, they drafted in the third round granted this is in 2008. Yeah. But they drafted yeah. him he in the drafted. third round. Yes. And then released him. So it's not on, un- it wouldn't be unprecedented if Zappi didn't make the team. That being said, I, Stidham's not the guy. I, I think that's been made clear at this point. They need a backup. I think Hoyer's more of a, a, a coach, a high paid coach than he is anything else. I think Zappi would be the second dressed, you know, quarterback on game days. I I, I would call Zappi a lock. I would be thoroughly, thoroughly shocked, uh, if they cut him to go back to my rule, I, if somebody said, should I buy a Bailey Zappi jersey? I, I might say, wait to find out what number he has, but yeah, pre-order it. Go ahead. So yes, I would consider him a roster lock.
1: Yeah, I would consider him a roster lock also. I think they really like this kid, not only just in the fact that he can be that high end backup, that Brian Hoyer long-term, but I think that they almost look at him as a real insurance policy for what ends up happening with Mac Jones and his development yeah not even just necessarily about this year, next year, whatever, but once we get into Mac Jones year five, year six, and they have to think about paying him, are they going to want to pay him at that point, the top of the quarterback market, 30, 35, 40 million, whatever it ends up being. We heard macro talk about it after the draft, when they drafted Zappy, that they're taking a college like approach to that quarterback position where They want to have somebody in the pipeline at all times. Even if they love their starter, they always want to have somebody in the pipeline. To me, Zappi is right now their guy in the pipeline, and I just don't see them going anywhere with him unless he looks completely overwhelmed by NFL football when he is here in the spring and the summer, which I don't think is going to be the case. So I have a tough time not calling uh, Bailey Zappi a lock. Mentioned Brian Hoyer a couple of times. And I'll just I honestly, there's a lot say this
0: too. You you talk yeah. about you you mentioned Grow talking about the college process at quarterback. Just because I know there's a, a lot of people who aren't college football fans who watch this show who might think, what does that mean? Go yeah. look at what Ohio State's doing right now. Ohio State's obviously for the most part a successful program. They haven't quite gotten over the hump as much as Alabama, but um yeah. they have on their roster right now the Projected number one pick in the draft next year and C.J. Stroud as their starting quarterback behind him. They just landed a, a, a guy named um, Quinn. I think it's Quinn Ewers um, as a transfer. Quinn Ewers is a transfer. He was the number one high school recruit in the country two years ago. He's supposedly the best quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he is going to back up C.J. Stroud. And then just yesterday, they added the number one quarterback recruit in the 2023 class this is what colleges do because you never know if somebody gets hurt um you know somebody could transfer which the nfl equivalent would be not working out not being able to work out the contract the idea is that right you have all this talent around the quarterback if the quarterback window if the quarterback position somehow gets messed up you can't afford that because you lose your shot and you don't know how many shots you're going to get at it because the quarterback position is more expensive in the nfl teams don't necessarily do that, but That's uh, that, that's what it looks like. Oh yeah. Sorry. You were, you were transferred to Texas, but they had at one point, all of those guys. So that that's what the the quarterback thing means. And if you can get them at cost, right. With draft picks, then it would be able to do that. They would be able to do that.
1: Yep. And so I think that that's really what they're thinking as well. And that's a good explanation of what the college system is, is let's just get as much talent at the most important position as we possibly can. And then figure it out from there. Obviously, Max, a starter, he's a long-term answer. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. But unless they can find a way to get him under contract in year three, I think is when you're technically eligible to sign an extension as a rookie on a rookie contract. Then he's going to break the bank, right? If he gets into right. free agency year six, uh, he's going to break the bank. Mentioned Brian Hoyer a couple times. I know there's a lot of calls for him to be a coach. I know in the past that we were talking off the air about how the Patriots have released Brian Hoyer. He doesn't have to go through waivers as a veteran, and they know he's not going anywhere. And he ends up signing back with the practice squad for a week or two until they can open up a roster spot and they sign him to the 53. There's certainly that. You can go that route with it, right? Brian Hoyer could definitely right. be cut, brought back on the practice squad, and then put on the 53 when the time comes. I think that's kind of a technicality sort of way to do this. Brian Hoyer is going to be in Foxborough this season. He's going to be a Patriot yeah. this season one way or another. So I don't necessarily think that that discussion is, is really to be had. But the whole coaching thing, though, I think that people don't realize, first of all, Number one, how much of a pay cut that is to go from backup quarterback player to coach is definitely something that is a huge pay cut. Yeah. Yeah. It's also something that is a huge time commitment to go from a player to a coach. Coaches, I don't think people realize sometimes how much coaches work, especially assistant coaches that are grinding tape and padding and coming up with all these game plans and things like that and scouting opponents. They're there 24 seven around the clock, especially during the season. So that's quite the time commitment for somebody like Brian Hoyer too. So he's got, he's got the best of both worlds. He's got the paycheck and he's got the player schedule to throw that all away to be a coach. I think that they're literally going to have to tell him. And I mean, all 32 teams are literally going to have to tell Brian Hoyer, there is no place for you on an NFL roster anymore before we get to the point where he's thinking about coaching. And at the same time for the Patriots, there's then limitations on how
0: much time Brian Hoyer can spend with Mac Jones, working with him sure. that don't exist when they're teammates. So outside of the roster, the roster spot is the only reason that the Patriots that it would incentivize the Patriots to make Brian Hoyer a coach. And there is no reason for Brian Hoyer to want to be a coach if the team will still have him as a player, there's none. So there's also, I mean, on top of everything you said there there's he might've already hit the top threshold. He might be uh, another year or two in terms of pension, you know, years in the league tied into that. What he can get in terms of health insurance after he retires? He's not, he's not just going to be like, yeah, I'll be a coach. That's fine. Like that's, that's not how anything works.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Jared Stidham in a very similar position as Nikhil Harry, honestly, in terms of he's got no trade value. He's probably got very little value on the roster. But it wouldn't completely shock me if they carry all four guys. I, I think that they might see uh, that, that, would it that would shock me. It would surprise me. me. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it something really to do with numbers wise. So I hear you. Well, but let what, what I, is I mean, yeah, go ahead. Doing at that point. Yeah what like what's the
0: benefit what is Sidham giving you the, I guess the I go back yard? to
1: I go back to the 2001 Patriot quarterback room and obviously Drew Bledsoe was on that team and Brady so but 2002 you have you know there there's they've had numbers so back then on there right back then you were
0: able to carry an extra quarterback that didn't count against your roster total. okay that's a fair point so if Jared Stidham didn't count him against the roster, I'm sure they'd love to keep him,
1: yeah. but he does. So, yeah. So what do you think ends up happening with Stidham? You think it's just an outright cut at that point then? I mean, I, I I don't, if they can move him, I think they
0: would, you know, we've seen this in the past that a quarterback's tied with the Patriots. And look, he was in the room with Brady for a year. You know, some team may see some value in that and say, Hey, you know, Stidham in a, Seventh for a future seventh, whatever, something like that, right? Some team may want to jump to the front of the line with him, but they're not going to get anything of serious value. I what I think they will do is I think they'll showcase him. And we've seen them do this in the past that and it's one less preseason game now. So maybe it's a little bit tougher, but I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he gets that whole third preseason game, right? If we see a significant amount of Jared Stidham, I don't think Mac Jones is gonna play much this preseason. I don't think Brian Hoyer is gonna play much this preseason. I think it would be Bailey Zappi to get him acclimated and Jared Stidham to showcase him.
1: So we could do the old, uh, the old Jacoby Brissett. Right. They did it I with know. Brissett. They yeah.
0: tried to do it with Danny Etling. It didn't work, even though he had a monster touchdown run. Yeah. Um, they <laughs> did it with Hoyer. They even did it with Hoyer one of the times before they cut him. But yeah, I I just don't think they. I, I think they'll try to move them, but they're not going to keep Stidham. Like I could see them maybe, maybe. Let's say there's an injury. Maybe Nikhil Harry sticks around for the beginning of the season. Like maybe. Right. That one that would
1: surprise me less than if they kept Stidham. All right, let's move on to running backs. I think the first four names on this list everybody assumes is a lock. I, the one yeah. thing that I want to talk to you about is James White. I, I think right. this one this one stinks. I it's fair to say it stinks for all of us that there's a chance, a very real chance, that James White I would say that the more real chance of him getting cut is that he starts the year on PUP. I don't right. think that they're going to outright cut him. The question really is, is he going to be healthy enough to play week one or even beyond the 53 week one? I could see them him making the roster initially and then going on injured reserve after the fact that they want to take that approach if they do try to ramp it up in training camp and see what he's got. But I think that there's a really good chance that he actually starts the regular season, not just training camp. But the regular season on the PUP list, which would put him out until week seven of the uh, regular season in the NFL, those are the rules. So I think James White's going to be around. He's going to be on the roster one way or another. It might be reserve roster like PUP or IR, but I think he's going to be around. The question more is, do we think that there's a chance that James White can be the same guy that he was pre-hip injury? He's aging. That's a brutal injury. It's a brutal rehab He spoke about it a couple of months ago, and it's it it sucks to say, but there's a chance that this is not going to be the same player.
0: Yeah, I I, I would agree with you on that. I again, I don't think they cut him. I do think that there's probably like the the reports right now are he's going to miss at least the start of spring practices, probably all spring practices. When can they get him going over the summer? Um, I, I I would agree with you. I think the best case scenario is he gets put on IR. Although I think they're limiting. Which IR rules did they change? Because they changed a bunch of them, right? I believe the IR
1: rules it's not are, a are now back anymore. to normal, as in it's not three weeks anymore on injured reserve. It's the the pre-COVID IR rules, right? So I, I don't think the COVID IR rules are Still in effect. I think you still have. Well, how uh, many returns do you like? That's I ultimately the still, question. I think it's still unlimited for the returns. Like I could be wrong about that, but I don't think. Remember the last couple of years of COVID, you could put guys on IR for three weeks and then bring them back. Now right. I think it's back to that half a season that they have to be out eight games and then you can bring them back. But I do think that they still allow an unlimited amount. But I could no here it
0: is that. no more no more unlimited returns from injured reserve. So six weeks, no unlimited return. Um, I believe it's two. It was one at one point. I think just before COVID, right, they increased it to two. So I guess there's nobody else that really projects as a, you know, we'll see guys get hurt during camp, guys get hurt in the preseason, right? But you got to be more careful with those spots. You probably want to save one. Um, Yeah, I, it's going to be a tricky one. It, it's going to be a tricky one to see how how they keep James White in the fold. I think they will keep him in the fold, but it's going to be tricky.
1: So if James White, whether he is
0: or isn't And by in the, the fold, way, right? they should bring back unlimited returns. I'm fine with them increasing yeah. it from three weeks to six. Three weeks felt a little short. Um, what they should do is like baseball does. Baseball has a—they have the 15 and the 60, right? DL IL, which are like the standard— they have a, also have a 10-day IL that's, I think, just for concussions. Yes. I would like to see a three—they should do a three-week concussion IR so guys aren't rushing back from concussions. Everything else is six weeks, right? And and they should have unlimited return from both. That's just how I would do it.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think the unlimited return was a really great rule, not only for teams, but also for players because it just got guys back quicker and allowed guys to play that— Deserved the chance to play right now. You get stacked on injured reserve. You're out for the year. It gets tricky. So those four running backs are going to be in the building. They're going to be in the fold, whether James White's able to contribute or not is yet to be seen. I still think that they keep at least five of these names on this list though. So that leaves that last spot for Montgomery Taylor or Kevin Harris. Montgomery and Taylor are obviously very different backs from Kevin Harris. Those guys are passing downs backs. uh, Those are pass catching backs. Montgomery has that chance to contribute on special teams as well that they might like in terms of kick coverage specialist. I don't know if he's going to be returning any kicks for them, but he's going to be able to contribute by covering kicks. So I do think that that helps him out a lot. And maybe they look at Montgomery as a one for one for Brandon Bolden more so than a guy like J.J. Taylor So if James White is able to give them something, I actually think that it's Montgomery who ends up making the roster as the fifth back. If James White is on PUP on injured reserve, you know, not doing well, then I I do think that that opens the door a little bit more up for JJ Taylor. But I think that Ty Montgomery right now has the inside track. I still don't
0: know. Taylor Taylor's biggest issue is still pass blocking, which I don't think is going to get better. It's a size thing, right? I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had another back here at some point. And, and these guys don't always make the team, but we've seen them add backs during camp. Who was it they added in 2020 uh, was um, Lamar Miller, right? Yeah. I, I still think there's a chance another back comes in. I really do. I I still don't think this is enough. I don't, if James White is going to play, it, they don't have enough of the position they don't. So I, I I still think that position's in flux. Like you said, they still have three roster spots to play with. We're in the second phase of free agency. Um, I think there's another move there.
1: It'll be interesting to see because there's been a lot of positive buzz about JJ Taylor. He's put on some weight. He's put on some muscle. He's not going to get, he's not going to grow taller, right? He he's as tall as he is ever going to be, but he has tried to, thickened out a little bit this off season. He's been down there with all these throwing sessions. He was there with Mac Jones and the group down there in Florida. This, this, uh, what last month of, the, I think that was, and he's been at OTAs or the workouts that they're doing right now, not OTAs. So I think JJ Taylor is doing all the right things. I, I just don't know if he's ever going to be able to overcome some of the limitations that he has physically, if the Patriots do cut him though, I think he's going to find a home someplace else. So I don't think that this is going to be a situation where they're going to be able to stash JJ Taylor on the practice squad. I think he's shown enough when he's gotten the opportunity to get out there that both in preseason and in the regular season, when they've given him some carries that he's got some juice and that he can play. So I would be, I'd be hard pressed to think that they're going to be able to just, Keep JJ Taylor on the practice squad or stash him or something like that, and have him as depth. Maybe I, I could be wrong there, but uh, they obviously see something in Kevin Harris too. I, I wonder he had the back injury in college this past season, and maybe he's another pup candidate or injured reserve candidate. They don't. They probably don't necessarily need him with Harris and Ramondre. Uh, they probably don't need him this year, right? If they're gonna need depth somewhere at running back, it's probably gonna be more at a pass catching change of pace style, not necessarily a guy that's going to be between the tackles with that two headed monster at the top of this list. But do you see Kevin Harris pushing for the roster or how do you kind of see his rookie season shaking out?
0: Yeah, I think he's a redshirt guy. He's still coming off that back injury. Um yeah. they, they've got a couple of early down backs and Damian Harrison Ramondre Stevenson. I, I think he's a 2023 guy unless, unless I talk about the need for a pass catcher, Bolt. Damien Harris and Ramondre Stevenson were good passing backs in college. Now, papers yeah. don't really use either of them like that. They definitely don't use Damien Harris like that. They flirted with it a little bit last year with Stevenson. If they expand one of those guys into more of a utility role, I could see maybe then maybe Kevin Harris sneaks on the back end as like a goal linebacker. Uh, yeah. But I, I think that just if they were going to use Damien Harris to catch passes, I think they would have done it already, right? So yeah, I'm not counting on that.
1: Ramondre Stevenson talked about that. I want to say at the end of last year that this off season and into year two, some he was hoping to expand his game as a pass catcher. I think Ramondre Stevenson feels like he can be a really good pass catching back in the league. He showed some real flashes of that. They don't run a lot of guys up the seam from out of the backfield too often in that McDaniels offense. And they allowed Ramondre to do it a couple of times and he made some big plays happen doing that. So I, I think that he's got some, some ability as a receiver. He's not going to be James White, but just on first and second down to be able to add that, I think is going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing him run better routes, be able to catch the football. I think he's gotten more of that in his game than maybe they allowed him to let on as a rookie, just because they didn't want to put him in such a high stress situation. We know how much the Patriots emphasize pass blocking out of that running back position option routes. It's a very difficult thing to do it's much easier to say to the back here's the whole run through it right you know in terms of being a ball carrier than it is to be a receiver so I think we could see some more flashes out of that with Ramondre and obviously Pierre Strong is everybody at this point I think has come to the conclusion when you talk to people around the league and when you read other people's work and stuff like that in this draft class that Pierre Strong is here to develop into that James White Role, or maybe be a little bit more like rex burkhead was where he can do a little bit of everything and uh i but i think that he's not here to be the bell cow right he's He's here here to factor in on passing downs he's here to be a factor on passing downs absolutely all right tight ends only four tight ends right now on the patriots roster which is pretty hard to believe but that's where we're at based off of all the moves and the fa- it's just hard to believe because they've had, even if they haven't been good bodies, they've had bodies at that spot for the last couple of years, right? Guys like Matt LaCoste, Troy Fumagalli, right. free agent still, you know, they've had some, some guys in and out at that. Did Matt LaCoste sign anywhere. He's not on the Patriots roster. I don't know if he's signed any place. Nah, he's a free agent. I could see them bringing him back.
0: This is another yeah. spot where like, I could see them adding somebody before camp. Remember last year, OTAs, they were signing guys like, into odas every morning we got out there and there's a new player at practice yeah running back and tight end are both spots i could see them doing that
1: yeah tight end definitely is a little bit thin you, especially when you start to start to think about it was great that hunter henry was able to play a whole year last year but there's obviously injury history there johnny smith had some injuries last year got banged up a little bit and at this point Asiasi and keen look like sunken costs, right? I mean, it just, it, I don't know what you're getting out of that group, but I, before we get into Ossie Ossie and Keen, and, and their outlook for the, this year, I think we already know what Hunter Henry brings to the table. He's, he's a solid, reliable guy, really good player for them last year. I think the guy that we saw last year is Hunter Henry. Like that's, that's what he brings to the table. And it's right. a really valuable player to have on your roster. How about Johnny Smith? we heard about Robert Kraft at the owner's meetings he mentioned that the Patriots are making some tweaks. They want to see more out of a guy like Johnny Smith. What do you project that they do to get more out of Johnny? Because he's in the yellow. He's a he's a he's a lock, and he's not going anywhere on that contract. So you're at least stuck with Johnny Smith, uh, for lack of a better phrase, for two more seasons. I would say because that contract is basically all guaranteed until uh, he hits that fourth year. Well, I think what's
0: encouraging is and Nelson Nagler talked about how year two can be a great jump year for guys in the Patriot system. And there is some truth to that, right? I think if you look at, let's, let's try to piece this together. And this goes back to a conversation we were having earlier, right? I think there's a chance that this offense looks a little different than it did last year. I think there's a a shot that it looks different than it has traditionally under Bill Belichick. Let, let's, and again, I'm just projecting here. Like this is real big picture bird's eye view, thousand feet, whatever. Um, But we talked about maybe going with that more vertical speed element to match Alabama, right? Where you have Tyquan, Thornton, you have Nelson Aguilar, and then Parker or Bourne, and those are your three main receivers. You're coming out of 11 personnel, and you're running those guys up the field. In that offense, you still need an outlet, right? You still need that check down option. Traditionally, that's the running back. Um, But we just just talked about how James White might not be healthy. Pierre Strong's a rookie. We don't know if they're going to use Ramondre that way. What if we're if we're going to model this instead after the Alabama offense, Alabama has had a guy he transferred to Texas, Jaleel Billingsley, who will be my favorite tight end in the draft next year. Spoiler alert. Um, Jaleel Billingsley profiles very similarly to John Smith, where he's kind of this hybrid tight end running back receiver who's just really good with the ball in his hands. And what they would do a lot is just run him on drags or shallow in routes. And that was the check down. It might've right. been five yards downfield, but that was a check down. So let's apply this now. If there, if you really want to have this Alabama influence on the offense, let's, and again, we haven't even had one spring practice yet. And I'm putting the depth chart together and putting the starting offense together, but this is, we're doing it for fun. We're having the exercise. Thornton Aguilar, Bur- Bourne, park, your three receivers, those guys running down the field. And then John o. Smith just coming underneath when they clear everything out and you're throwing him check downs are throwing him crossers, you're throwing him, in cuts, and you're getting him in space with the ball in his hands. If that's the way they're going to set it up, and it kind of looks like it's going in that direction, the fact they didn't add that definitive experience pass catching back, that role as it's traditionally existed in New England, that that role ultimately the guy who's going to catch the ball around the line of scrimmage and make things happen with the ball in his hands. You need that guy in the offense. Absolutely. Any offense needs that guy. Traditionally in New England, that's been a running back. It's not, I know people think, well, what about Julian Edelman? It's a little different, right? He's not necessarily catching the ball at the line. They're getting him open five to eight yards downfield. and, and, And then he's going from there. And that's the role Myers is in now. James White has been the guy at the line of scrimmage. That role still needs to be filled. It doesn't have to be filled by a running back. You could have John U. Smith again, just running flat along the line of scrimmage, running one or two yards down the field and then getting him the ball in motion in space like that to me, I'd love to see that with John who Smith this year, you have all the speed now on offense. You really have an opportunity. I think more than last year to keep defenses honest and, and, and keep them back up the field, right. Or keep them back down the field. I think John Smith could eat underneath if they give him that opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the way you to really make it in simplest terms, when you design yeah, an offense, that up, that was a mess. When you're designing offense, you're thinking you, it's always touchdown, first down, checkdown. Right. Those are right. the three like levels of the offense that you're thinking. Hunter Henry. Myers born. Those are your first down guys, right? Those are the guys that right. are going to run a lot of routes in that eight to 12 intermediate range. Then you have your touchdown guys. Those are Tyquan Thornton and Nelson Aguilar, Devontae Parker, the guys that are going to go over the top. Then you need to have that checkdown layer in every single good offense. And I see this a lot of times in college and it drives me nuts. Now, sometimes in college, the quarterbacks are athletic, or at least they're athletic for that level. So they're kind of their own checkdown. right? If there's nobody there, they just let the quarterbacks take off. But a lot of times when they design offenses in college, what drives me or what makes me kind of think, that's holding these quarterbacks back at times is they don't, they don't design checkdowns into the offense, right? Everybody is 20 plus yards down the field by the time the quarterback's ready to make a decision. And then at that point, it's basically on the quarterback to be an athlete and be his own checkdown. The Patriots certainly are not going to design it that way. They've always had that checkdown, And when you look at Johnny Smith, you mentioned some of the things that they might have him run, but those, Flares into the flats, the drag routes underneath the defense, these little uh, uh, routes over the middle of the field, over the ball uh, that just here I am. Right. And especially if they can get him in motion or moving when he catches the football versus stagnant and just catching it from a standstill, then he can really be somebody that can turn up field and make things happen and get him into space and make it work that way. So when you look at his skill set in general, this is just not a guy that wins at the top of the route. He's not somebody that's going to break it down and run a great route break and get open and create all this separation with his technique. He's an athlete. You want to get him the football in the hands. Or his the football in his hands. And I think right. that's a great role for him. It's not going to be the James White role. It's not going to be option routes out of the backfield. He's not going to get up to the top of the route and have a three-way go and make a move and make a decision. It's going to be little drags little flares little arrow routes into the flats and when mac jones goes through his progression which usually is first down touchdown then check down they kind of do it in inverse once he goes through that progression it's going to be all right nobody's open down the field here's johnny in the flat let's give him the football and see if he can make a guy miss it's really not the worst way to go about it and for johnny that could be a role that might actually see him Targeted a whole lot more, right? I mean, yeah. when you're in that check down role, that that can potentially be an 80 target season for Johnny Smith in that kind of role. I, I think that that's the best way to use him in this offense, especially now with that speed. You can also incorporate some screens in there. You have Tyquan Thornton and Nelson Aguilar getting up the field and then all of a sudden they leak Jonu out and they get the offensive line out and it's a screen to the tight end. I think those elements of this offense would really behoove Jonu and get the most out of him. So I would imagine that's what they're talking about at Gillette now or something along those lines. I think you nailed it, that he's going to be more of that guy that's going to operate closer to the line of scrimmage and be kind of a check down guy for Mac Jones and let him create with the football. Yeah,
0: and I don't think it's a bad role. Like I said this last year, I thought they were going to turn John into a volume catch guy, and it, that yeah. might ultimately be his best role. I know people are going to roll their eyes at me saying that. Like he, why do you want him to be a volume guy after the way he played last year? It it it, it goes back to they the scheme touch guys. They just haven't figured out. They haven't been able to use those guys. I don't. A lot of who struggles last year was he was simply being asked to do things he's never done before, and things, frankly, aren't in his skill set. That needs to change. And maybe yeah. maybe I'm banging my head against the wall here. I said that about Nikhil Harry for three years, that they're not using him right. They never fixed it. But I, the circumstances are different now. Again, I think they need that role filled. I I, I think Jonu Smith is like a 5-10 to 10 targeted game guy around the line of scrimmage and just let him run with the ball.
1: I think that's the best role for them. I think they get their money's worth out of that. Absolutely. All right. Third tight end here. They're probably gonna carry three. maybe not. If they feel like neither one of these guys is even worth carrying on the roster, then they might not necessarily feel the need to carry three. But you would think traditionally that they would carry three out of Ossesse and Keane, I think it's easier to have more hope about Osseosi just because we've seen it, right? But I think right. the yeah. idea of Keen in that role is still interesting to me if they can get him into that use check type of mold, but he just has dealt with so many injuries and he's never been healthy and they've never really been able to get him off the runway, even necessarily get him all the way to the vacation spot. They haven't even gotten him off the runway at this point. So out of those two guys, I guess who's the one that gives you the most hope or who's the one would, that you would like to see emerge as a third tight end on this depth chart.
0: Yeah, I feel bad for Keen. He's had the neck injury, right? Uh, that injury, I don't even like know. That. I mean, like, I don't even know,
1: right? He's that been injury hurt. could be he's been been severe. It seems like he's had
0: serious injuries. I, it would yeah. be nice if they could keep him because they don't have a true fullback on the roster right now. He could maybe do some of that stuff. So that would be interesting. Like you mentioned, we've seen it in, with Ossie Ossie. I think one of them ultimately emerges during camp and during the preseason. But boy, I'd really like to see another tight end emerge, whether it's somebody, if they bring Matt, Lacoste, like I'd feel better about Matt LaCoste if they brought him back. Yeah. I'd feel better about Troy Fumagalli If they brought him back, I'll give you UDFA that still hasn't signed. That's Jordan uh, Jordan Myers at of rice. We're talking about, you know, kind of some of the things they need. I wrote a little bit about Jordan Myers before the draft. Jordan Myers is listed as a wide receiver. He's like 6'2, 225. He was listed as a wide receiver, tight end hybrid on Rice's roster, but he carried the ball 200 times last year and caught 110 passes. So he lines up everywhere. He does everything. You talk about the need for a third tight end. You talk about the need for a pass catching back. You thought talk about the need for maybe another power back. They used him a lot out of the backfield on the goal line. Go get me that guy. And there's other guys in the NFL that can do it. Like I'd like to see them add a hybrid tight end running back to fill that third role. I guess that makes my answer keen because he's more that guy. I just don't think he's healthy. Uh, this is something where I, I I think that the third tight end, if they do keep one, isn't on the roster right now. And again, if you wanted to Google it, Jordan Myers, uh, he doesn't spell it like Jacoby. There's no first E. Jordan Myers at a Rice would be would be the guy I would look at. I, as of I, I think last time I checked was yesterday, he hasn't signed. So unless somebody signed him today, uh, which they have not, I think Patriots should sign him.
1: So. Just to play devil's advocate here with the tight ends, the one thing I would say though is that if Hunter Henry were to go down, then they really don't have a traditional inline tight end. You need a third. Right. So Devin Asiasi is definitely more in that mold, right? Of a guy that can play with the sand in the dirt, play next to the tackle at the end of the line, and be that traditional inline tight end. But I also think when I look at the, the team in general, I look at wide receiver. They're definitely going to have Devontae Parker on the roster. There's an outside chance that Nikhil Harry is still here for year four. They're going to have good depth at that position, barring any serious injury bug going through that room. If Hunter Henry were to go down, they might just look at it and say, we're just going to kind of play Parker or play Harry as kind of a jumbo wide receiver, maybe closer to the formation, and basically run ten, per- basically run four wide receivers out there, right? Especially in right. passing situations. So I don't necessarily know if they actually care about their depth a ton at tight end, just because I think that they feel like they have those bigger receivers at the wide receiver position that if Hunter Henry or if John Smith were to go down, that they would have that ability to move a guy like Devontae Parker, six foot three, 215 pounds into more of a blocking role inside the formation or closer to the uh, it, closer to the, inside the tackles right in line position. So that's the way that I think that they look at that, at least as of right now, because they haven't added anybody. They haven't signed a UDFA. They haven't signed a free agent at tight end. They've done absolutely nothing at tight end. Absolutely nothing. So they obviously feel good about Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, but I think on the depth behind it, it might speak more to the fact that they have those bigger receivers and Parker and Harry on the roster. You want to talk about this monster offensive line group right now? They've got depth. Guys, 16 guys on the roster. At what percent of the roster line. is that? That is 18% of the roster. 18% of the roster is the big boys. Well, on of the, the 90, group.
0: man. So it's probably closer to 20 because they don't have the full 90 guys.
1: Yeah, they only have 87. So 16 of their 87 that. players on the roster right now are offensive 18, line. 18.5%. 18 Yeah, they usually carry 10, maybe nine some years, but nine or 10 is right around the range that they like to keep it at. I think some of these guys certainly have some practice squad value or potential that they could sneak them through to the practice squad. Cole Strange right at the top of the list, obviously not going anywhere. Isaiah Wynn, I think, was the one out of that yellow group that I hesitated with, but I just think that they they haven't added enough They didn't draft a tackle in the first round. Uh, They didn't trade or sign a veteran tackle. I find it hard to believe that Isaiah wins anywhere but New England uh, in the fall because they really don't have any other options for this year, at least, unless they want to get tricky with it, move Trent Brown back to left tackle, move uh, Anwenu to right tackle, and then play somebody else inside, right? Other than Anwenu, I guess they could go that direction, but I think that they would like to keep Trent Brown on the right side. And I think wins on this team. Uh, I just think that they think they get one more year out of them here.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, they, they would have to get a pretty significant trade package. They don't have an immediate replacement for him. Um, I, and I know I talked about Cole strange, maybe playing some left tackle. I don't think in year one. So if, if they had taken, you know, well, Trevor Penning was off the board, but if, if they taken a guy like Bernard Raymond, Tyler Smith, whoever, it yeah. becomes more of a conversation but they just they they need Isaiah Wynn. They don't have another starting left tackle on the roster. He
1: has to be here. I think Isaiah Wynn's going to be fine for them next year too. Last year really the biggest problem that he had was penalties. You get his technique back to where it needs to be with the penalties and get his focus up a little bit more than where it was last year. I I don't really think that he was a bad player on the whole for the Patriots last season. I know that a lot of people rag on Isaiah win. And I'm not saying that he's a long-term answer at left tackle. I'm not giving him an extension or anything like that, but for one more year until they figure out where they're going to go at that position, make sure, you know, try to limit the penalties, try to shrink down on some of those penalties that he had last year that killed them and, and move forward with Isaiah win for one more year. I also have Justin Haran as a lock right now, just as that third tackle, he's really separates himself to me. From the rest of that group, that's not in yellow, as the top swing tackle on the roster, and I, I just don't really see a way that he's not on this team as that top guy.
0: Yeah, I, I again, the tackle depth is the one thing that kind of concerns me right now. I think with with Brown and Wynn, they're fine in terms of their starters, but they need uh, Her- Heron's their their best third tackle. Normally, they like to carry four. Maybe Stuber steps up as that guy. Maybe yeah. we find we see something from Will Sherman, who they took late last year. But I, I would agree with you. If Heron doesn't make the team, then they're they're very very thin at tackle.
1: So who out of that non-yellow group you mentioned? Sherman. You mentioned Stuber. Who I, I really like Stuber a lot. I, I think that he's going to be a potential find for them. I love Chase and Hines too. I, I I almost put James Ferentz in yellow. I, I think that he's got a really good chance at it. Just based off the fact that they traded, or they parted ways, I guess is a better way to put it, traded Shaq Mason, lost Ted Karras in free agency. I think that he's one of those guys that needs to be here as well, just as veteran backup depth. Unless they add another veteran that we we talked about on Thursday, potentially, them adding another veteran guard uh, here to the mix. It seems like James Ferentz makes it, but who added the rest of this group? Any uh, love for Arlington Hambright or uh, Drew J. Jarlay or anything here uh, that you like?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I really like, Ch- I, I like Heinz and Stuber. I thought they did well in the draft with those guys. I, I, I think yeah. they have a potential backup, you know, full right side, right guard, right tackle and Stuber and a, a combo guard, probably interior offensive lineman full center and as well in Hines. So I, I, I like that. Rusi's an interesting player as well. He's the kind of guy they like where, he, you know, multi-year starter, multi-year captain transfer. I could see him sticking around. There'll be a, Strange aside, I I should say in addition to strange, I think there'll be another rookie offensive lineman on this team, at least one.
1: Yeah, I actually really like both the UDFA centers that they signed. I I think both these guys have a chance. Uh, Rusi is a lot more in that David Andrews mold, right? An undersized center, but really cerebral and really athletic for his size or or for a center position. He's somebody that I think doesn't have a lot of traits, That overlap with what David Andrews had coming out of Georgia. You also hear about his leadership and all that center type of jargon that you like to hear with uh, Liam Shanahan, though, Shanahan's bigger, right? He's six foot five. He's almost 310 pounds. He's a little bit closer to maybe what Ted Karras was coming out of college when Ted Karras was coming out. The Patriots drafted Karras in the sixth round. I think that Shanahan, he's had some play strength concerns. Uh, that's the one thing is he's going to have to bulk up and and really get a little bit more sturdy inside. But I think that he's got some more guard center versatility and could potentially back up all three spots in the future just because of the fact that he's got that size. He's, he's 6'4", 6'5", 3'10". He's certainly got guard size if they want to try to develop him a little bit at guard as well. So I, I like both of those guys. I Think they they could have potential uh, on the roster. I, I think that there is also maybe a little bit of a push for Dejarle. I, I think they're interested to see what they have with it. Right? I mean, he's a really really good player up in Canada. One of the best offensive linemen in the CFL wins a couple Grey Cups. Oh, so now we're so now you
0: want to talk about the CFL.
1: Now they're on no, the offensive line. Now you're all giddy to talk I'm about I'm just the saying DFL. give the guy a chance in training camp. That's all I'm saying, right? When the, when the pads get on, let, let's let's give him a chance. He's played a lot of football, right? Some of these guys that you look at along the offensive line coming out of college, they just haven't really played a ton of football in their careers. They haven't played a ton of snaps. Uh, he's one of those guys that kind of got an extra college couple of years there up in Canada, right, to really uh, hone in on the technique. I knew you were going to make fun of me for that one. But uh, I I like all those guys in terms of depth and uh, we'll see what happens at the tackle spot though. I'm with you. That's the one thing that I look at this group. I actually think they are pretty built on the interior. Obviously with drafting a guard. I I think they're great on the inside. It's just a matter of what they're doing on the outside. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. So we'll see what ends up happening with that group. But uh, when I, when I put this together and I finalized this after the draft and the UDFA announcements, and I saw 16 offensive linemen, that the Patriots currently have, or and they only have eighty-seven guys on the roster, so it's not even like they have a need to cut any of these guys anytime soon. So I think there's a pretty good chance that you see at least fifteen, if not all sixteen, of these guys actually make it to training camp in yeah. uh, in July. So that's a huge number. It's a big, big group. So there you have it. That's our rundown of what's going on with the Patriots offense as we sit here in the middle of May on May 10th, right after the draft, UDFA signings announced yesterday. Like I mentioned, I know a lot of you pointed out the tab on the defensive side of the football tabs for next week, next Tuesday, we'll do a show recapping and and going through just like we just went through on offense, the defensive side of the football and special teams is on that one as well. So we'll get to that in a second, but I'm going to clear out the spreadsheet going to put the two of us on the screen because it's time end of the show. We can't end the show with two Boston sports teams in best of three game fives in the next day, uh, 24 hours without the Boston sports minute. So here we go. Our time to get our Celtics and Bruins takes out there. Let's start with the Celtics. Cause they played last night in that game yep. was one of the better and more exciting Celtics games that I've seen in a while. I was just, I mean, come on, how could you not love what you saw from the Celtics last night, Alex? Uh, how do you feel about the Celtics last night? We can obviously uh, pour one, uh, a big, tall one for Al Horford. We want to do That's that awesome. as well. And uh, what do you think about them going forward in the series? Yeah, I I, I love it. I think you joker
0: first off, got robbed for coach of the year. You look at some of the buttons he pushed last night, but... I think this Celtics team, I I think the Celtics have the Bucs figured out. I I really think they do. And when they don't let the refs get in their heads, and you saw some of that mental toughness last night, they were able to shake it off later in the game, although it hurt them earlier. When when they push the Bucs, when they really make the Bucs play basketball, the Bucs can't hang with them. When it's just a matter of who's more athletic, I mean, the Bucs have Giannis. He's the most athletic player in the league. He's got the size. And, and, And when. When they, when they let the Bucks really set up, right? When they let the Bucks set up and do what they want to do, it, it, it's trouble. But when they run the floor, when they're moving the ball up the floor, pushing the ball up the floor, defense to offense, getting in transition, the Bucs can't stop them. You saw some of what they were doing with their ball movement, that that play with Al Horford, right, all starts because they got the Bucs to overcommit to one end of the floor. Horford gets the backdoor cut. Um, and then on the other end of the floor, it, it kind of feels like the opposite, right? Don't let the Bucks. Kind of run the floor, force them to get set up. Giannis, for whatever reason, insists on taking all these jump shots late in games, which as yeah. long as you get the rebound, which they did 50 50 uh last night. But, you know, if he's going to take those jump shots, let him take the jump shots, get the rebounds. That's free possessions right there. I just I think they've got to figure it out. Two or three left, two at the garden. I the Bucs looked really discouraged last night. That that Al Horford dunk really felt like a breaking point. It really yeah, did. So
1: felt, felt like a turning point in the series. And yeah, you mentioned I, they, they, they kind of have. Yeah, they kind of had that Bucks defense figured out. I think the mid-range game is figuring it out, right? They yeah. won't, they want to give you threes and they want to protect the rim. They want you to shoot threes. And I think what the Celtics have noticed is that if they pick and roll against the Bucks then had Al Horford, twelve footer, is there all day long, and that's what he made Adoka said after the game that. They got Al Horford at 30 points because they kind of figured out that the p- the pick and pop is is there because Brooke Lopez is protecting the the rim. He's not going to move from under the hoop, so he doesn't want Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart to get to the to the cup. So Al Horford is wide open there for the little pick and pop. And then late in the game, they started switching everything, and now they're getting Jason Tatum on George Hill in the in the mid post, and I. That seems to be the way they figured out this defense. I actually I brought some stats to the Boston Sports Minute okay. today. Because, you know, I, I've been texting you a lot about Giannis throughout this yeah. series. And this is a, not that I haven't watched Giannis play before, but when you start to watch the same player play four or five games in a row, four games in a row as it's been now, you start to really understand who he is as a player. These stats in the series for Giannis are honestly – Remarkable. So I pulled his shooting stats by what the NBA calls zone, but we can also call it by distance, right? How far away he is from the basket. So in the restricted area, which is four feet and in from the basket where that little semicircle is where you can take a charge. He is 32 for 48 in the series with a 66.7% shooting percentage in the restricted area. Alex, can you guess what his shooting percentage is? on every single other shot outside the restricted area of which guess, he's taken 66. I'm going to guess around 20%. 27%. Yeah. The rest of the series. Yeah, you give him those. Outside the restricted area, he's 2 for 16 from 3. 12.5% from 3. And I think what the most remarkable part of this stat is is paint shots that are out of the restricted area, right? So that that like yep. for to and four to, four to, I think it's what 12 well, feet range or 11 feet range. He's eight for 32. He's 25%. So, basically, I think what the most remarkable thing about Giannis is to me, and I think a lot of people are going to hear this and be like, Evan's trashing on one of the best basketball players in the league. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's actually the opposite. I think it's absolutely remarkable that he could average 32 points a game and win two MVPs and win a championship without being able to shoot a basketball. Like, right? the guy literally can't shoot. A basketball, And he's still this unstoppable force because he can get to the hoop so easily. And it is crazy to watch how long he is and his ability to just all of a sudden it's like he's five feet from the basket and he can reach out his arm and dunk the ball. It, it is crazy. But if you're the Celtics, I know it's a lot easier said than done. But if you keep him out of the restricted area, then you're at least going to make him work for it. You're at least going to make him earn every basket than he gets. And I think they've actually done a pretty good job. In the third quarter last night, it got away from them a little bit, and he got to the hoop a bunch. But most of all in this series, or the major part of this series, they've done a really good job. And I, I can't even think of another comparison because he's so athletic. And, he, and he's got... There, there really is no comp.
0: I'll, yeah. I'll give you another stat, though. Yeah. So Giannis, when... Guarded by any Celtic not named Al Horford in this series. 35 yeah. of 65, he's shooting about 54%. When Al Horford is guarding Giannis, he's 15 to 49. That goes down to 30%. That's in the series. That's not just last night. Horford's been absolutely, Horford's the answer. Horford is the answer when it comes to him. Because Horford is, you're not going to be more athletic or stronger than Giannis. You can't defend him yeah. athletically. You can't defend him in terms of strength. It's about footwork, technique, positioning, and basketball IQ, and just being able to pick out the angles and, and, and make the reads and all that. And that's where Al Horford excels. He's so sound technically. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I think he's been so good at not allowing Giannis to get to that point. Right? He's been so good at that. So, I, I yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I think he's been great. And
1: it, it goes to kind of what you talked about. He's not letting him get in the paint. It is wild that a player as good as Giannis averaging 32 points a game in the series down his, his wingman, right. Doesn't have Chris Middleton and they're right. still in a two, two series. And he's shooting 27% outside of the restricted area. I just, it, it's a testament to him and it's also the knock on him. Right. And and knock I think that. that the Celtics know it just as well as anybody that, you make this guy shoot the ball from more than five feet out of the basket and, and you're going to beat him. It, it's yeah. really that, that simple. All right. Moving over to the Bruins here uh, before we wrap it up. I'm worried about the Bruins tonight, Alex. I am. You have first game without Charlie McAvoy and without Hampus Lindholm at home backs against the wall. That, that's one that you get up for and, and you play your butt off and you get that win in game four. Now you go back to Raleigh for game five, and now you have to play another game, it seems like, without McAvoy and without Linholm. I feel like they start to feel it at this point, right? Like that's my concern. Yeah. Is that playing without their top two D pair or their top D pair, their top two defensemen, it might not affect you in a home game, but it might affect you more when you're on the road. I I it's I, I worry
0: about the defenseman, but Carolina also looks broken. If I'm the and I know it's yeah. hard, it's hard to do this in hockey. It's hard to like single single out a player to, to attack on offense. Like last night, right? One of the things was they started doing late in the game was just go with Grayson Allen. They did yeah. the Celtics. They just got Grayson Allen on switches. They attacked him downhill. I know it's harder to do that in hockey, but just go after Tony D'Angelo. Man, he's yeah. so close to just snapping.
1: Like yeah. truly snapping he was just snapped at the end of the last game. And he I think did. great, You're right? The great thing about I, I, Brad Marchand is he can like do it without most of the time he doesn't snap, right? The other guy snaps first. So Brad Marchand's the perfect guy to play Tony D'Angelo with because Marchand got right under that guy's skin so quickly. That team,
0: it feels, and they're a front running team. They've been a front running team all year. And the Bruins have allowed too many early goals in this series, but man, just get under Tony D'Angelo's skin early. And it feels like that. It just like when D'Angelo faded, the team faded, right? It feels like that's all tied together. So, Go after him, pick on him, and then the other thing they got young goalies. Yeah, just just pucks on net, pucks on net. It's a volume thing. You're going to see him start squeaking through. I think that they've gotten too cute. They've gotten too particular at times in this series with the shots they want to take. When they've been at their best, they're just firing. They're just ripping shots and then capitalizing on rebounds or scrums or whatever it may be. I'd l- I want to see more of that, especially without McAvoy and in in Lindholm back there to kind of quarterback the offense just let it rip. Just let it rip and see what happens. If you go down, you go down fighting, but that's what I'd like to see more of from the Bruins.
1: Yeah. Last thing I'll say on the Bruins, Jeremy Swayman, this is one of those games where you need your goalie to steal one on the road, right? This is one of those games where the goaltending has been a big topic. All Mark started the series. Now Swayman's been hot and they have him in net. This is one of those games that if you're going to go on a deep cup run as a team, then you need your goalie You're down two defensemen, your top two guys, you're on the road, pivotal game five, this is the Jeremy Swayman game. If he's got the stones, this is the game where he goes out there and makes some critical saves. So you talked me off the ledge a little bit with the Bruins, but I am concerned about as you continue to move forward without McAvoy and without Lindholm, eventually those types of things tend to make a bigger impact as it wears on. One game, you, you might be able to get through it, two, three games into a series. Like if they don't have those guys in game six or game seven, then you start to worry a little bit more, but it does sound like McAvoy based off of the protocol should be able to be out by game six at the very right. least. So hopefully that he'll be back here soon. And uh, we'll be back as we wrap up the Boston Sportsman. anything else to say on the bot? You want, you want to talk Red Sox? You want to give a Wait, Red Sox? They suck. They
0: suck. They suck <laughs> so much. It's going to be great being able to go to Fenway for $10 all summer like that's going to be a fun time but holy crap I, I I I think I said it on the last one I don't understand how a major league team can willingly go into a season with this pitching staff they just completely ignored yeah it's like you're playing franchise in the show you go through your roster to see what you need to add and you just skip the pitcher screens like They needed pitchers. We all knew they needed pitchers. They didn't have enough pitchers and they just ignored it. And now they're getting exactly what they should have gotten. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that the Boston Red Sox would operate like that. It's a shame is what it It, is. It
1: does feel like, too, with baseball in particular, when one part of your team, whether it's the the lineup or it's the pitching staff, is deficient, it almost makes the other part of it press too much, right? And so I feel No, it's true. Yeah, I it's like when in football, if your offense is really good and your defense stinks and the offense feels like it's got to score 40 points every week to win. I feel like the, the, the Red Sox are the same way where Devers and Bogarts and JD and all these guys should be hitting a lot better than they are a story, but they're not because they're pressing. Cause they know that they have to score five runs a game in order right. to, to, to be a playoff team this year. It's, it's a psyche thing, especially in that sport. And when you're, in the course of 162 games, a long, long haul. It's definitely something that I, I think is standing out with this team right now. Let me add one more thing. Cause we've had a Raiders fan in the chat, kind of bugging people all day. And yeah. just, I, just I, 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 I told it, him to go
0: away a couple minutes ago. It, it was a fumble. And you talk about your franchise, like it's some, you know, blue blood NFL chip. How does it feel that the city of Oakland
1: didn't think you guys were worth investing in to keep around? So there you go just came for the jugular there my goodness just you lost your team
0: How does that I, I kind of like the Raiders I like their roster this year I like that team yeah, I, I'm the only one who doesn't have them finishing in last in the AFC West I'm in third yeah. the Chargers still have math coach but yeah
1: <laughs> I actually like the Raiders too and I actually like Josh McDaniels as I switched the background back to Patriots because yeah. now we're talking football again I actually like Josh McDaniels the second time around too. Like I actually think that yeah. he might have, have it figured out and he's got Dave Ziegler upstairs with him to kind of help him out with the roster. So I, I think that the Raiders are in a really good spot. And I, I agree. I think they're going to be competitive in that division too, but uh, we can talk about that on another show. Maybe we'll do a around the AFC around the NFL show a, at some point here before the start of training camp and talk about some of these other opponents. As I mentioned on Thursday, schedule release for the entire NFL I urge all of you to not look too much into any leaks between now and Thursday. If you see, yeah, leaks there's on already two, one out there. Yeah, if you see leaks on Thursday, then those I think are legitimate. But well, it's just who they're from, you know. NFL yeah. schedule leaks on
0: Twitter, where right. the Ian schedules right. the three. I don't know if they're from Jeff Howe, if they're from Mike Reese, <laughs> right. if they're from Doug Hyde, if they're from us. Yeah, those make a little more sense.
1: Fair enough. So I would hold off on any scheduling things till Thursday, but hopefully by four or five o'clock Ooh. on Thursday. Ooh. What do we got? You put the put the other banner back up real quick. Oh, OK. One second. One second. Emily Kaplan, who's ESPN's. Oh, do we have good news? About the
0: Char- saw Charles. This is her on Twitter. This is like a minute ago. Saw Charlie McAvoy walk into PNC arena in Raleigh wearing an N95 mask, suggesting he cleared COVID protocols. I was told Bruins ownership arranged a private jet for him to come to Raleigh and he's expected to take warmups. So maybe, maybe Charlie McAvoy tonight.
1: So Charlie McAvoy has a chance of playing. If Charlie McAvoy plays in this game, my opinion of what I just said about the Bruins being worried about them completely changes. I think if they got McAvoy, then they got this. I would love yeah. that. That's great to hear. Emily Kaplan nailing it there by the end of the show. So McAvoy a chance to play tonight. That, that's what that means. If I'm assuming, if he's got his wind right. I mean, COVID's a mother. So yeah. if you if he can't skate, but even if he can only play like even third line deep pair minutes, minutes, that's that right. could be big. Yeah. Yeah. Or oh, he plays on special teams, you know, power play and and right. PP, uh, penalty kill, then. Yeah, I, I love oh, we it. we have a
0: picture. There's now pictures. Matt Porter from, I think, The Globe? The Globe, yeah. yeah.
1: It's got the picture of him walking in. Love it. I love it. So here it. we go. Here we go. All right, so let's wrap this up. Alex and I will be back on Thursday afternoon, like I said. Uh, we'll hold off until we have the schedule, but I think we'll have the schedule as we normally do pretty early on Thursday. So we'll recap the schedule. We'll talk about all the schedule things. Uh, this is definitely more uh, Alex's wheelhouse, so I might have you uh, line this one up, Alex, with all the schedule uh, takeaways and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And uh, we will also be back on Tuesday the following week to do the defensive side of the well, football so do, wait, the today. schedule's
0: not until like 8 p.m. Maybe we should do Friday instead of Thursday. Well,
1: we it's see. not till 8 p.m. officially, but we're going to I would be absolutely floored to go on the reports. Really OK. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Last year, I, we were actually able to confirm a screenshot of this whole schedule. Right. It was like, That's one, yeah. you know, thing. So I, I think we'll have it. So if we don't, then yeah, we'll, we'll work. Uh, we'll tinker it, it a little bit. And if they actually do manage to uh, put a, a cap on all the leaks, we'll have to uh, maybe do Friday, but we'll definitely do a schedule show here later on in the week. Next week, we'll do the defense side of the ball roster reset. And then we'll also look on Thursday. We'll probably do a and a, uh, so we'll be back here uh, over our next couple of weeks with the regular schedule, Tuesday, Thursday, And we'll get into OTAs at the end of the month. So there's still plenty of Patriot things to talk about. We'll also do the Boston Sports Minute until uh, the playoff runs for the Bruins and the Celtics are over, which right now hopefully is uh, is not going to be for a while. So until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. Go Celtics, go Bruins, and we'll see you guys on Thursday.